excited that you are here today. Uh, today we finish this series called The Separation of Church and Hate. This series, again, has not been ever meant to change your political views, but to help you and I to know how to engage in a world and in a country that is more divided than ever. So far, we have looked at civility, dignity, and humility, which obviously was on display on Tuesday night in our presidential debate. I was, I was moved, you know, to tears as I watched them honor one another and be dignified and listen to one another and, and to watch them wash each other's feet. Just, uh, just moved me, just moved me so, so much. You know, I just, I thought to myself, maybe next time we should just have a donkey and elephant on stage, just duke it out, you know, and get about the same response. You know, can you imagine, you know, uh, if the debate actually was civil, if it was humble, it just, I mean, talk about the perfect timing for what this series is all about, you know, in this country. And as we wrap up this series, we want to talk about the word unity. We live in what has been called the United States of America. At least that's what it says on our money. In fact, if you pull out any currency whatsoever, it continues to say United States of America. And yet we feel more divided than ever before through our media, especially any type of social media. Uh, and it will continue to create more division as we go on. In fact, I want to strongly encourage you, whether you're watching at Otis, you're watching online, that you would check out this documentary called The Social Dilemma. Because again, I mentioned this in civility, one aspect of this documentary talks about that when you and I are on a social media or on a news feed and we click something, do you recognize that whatever we click, it knows to send us more articles based on that in which we clicked? Uh, you know this when it comes to shopping. If you've ever clicked on like, I really am interested in a backpack, and then all of a sudden you see all of these ads for backpacks. You're like, how do they know? It's because there's an algorithm that is in our news feeds that feeds us what it is that we click on. So let me give you a couple examples. If you click on something that says that Trump is a racist, it's amazing how many articles that you will get to back up what you believe to be true. If you click on something that says Biden's mental capacity is failing, you will get more and more articles along those lines. If you click on something that says COVID-19 is a hoax, you'll get more and more articles along those lines. That's the way it's set up. And could you think for a second the problem with that? Could you, could you imagine as you begin to go down that line, the echo chamber that you and I find ourselves in, and then we begin to wonder, man, if all of this news, if all of this truth is out there, how in the world can anybody believe something different? It's creating division. What happens is we get so frustrated at the other side, and why can't they just see, or why are they so stupid to understand and then what comes next is what's been coined as something popular in our culture called the cancel culture. See, the cancel culture comes in out of my frustration that if I believe something and you don't believe what I say, then I have the right, maybe even the necessity to block you or cancel you relationally. In other words, I only value freedom of speech if it aligns with my speech. 
in what you say or what you believe. Now, to go an extra mile with it, I found a little humorous clip because it goes further and further and further. That if you take it a little bit too far, this is what it looks like. Ezekiel bread, as described in the Holy Scriptures. That's offensive to atheists? Canceled immediately. Oh, little Debbie. Why does she have to have red hair offensive to gingers? Canceled. Hey, Granny Smith, you ever heard of, uh, oh, I don't know, ageism? Canceled. What do we have here? Country gravy, 758. Brown gravy, 747. I'm just saying, think about it. Tupac. Have you ever heard any of his lyrics? Very violent. Is that what you guys support? Spam? Add them to the list. Cancelled. It's 2020 and Oreo is still separating the light and the dark. You know who's out here solving racism in a Walmart? Duplex. 1850. You know what those dates are? Pre-Civil War. You know another term that means pre-Civil War? Antebellum. That's right. Just like the band, that brand is cancelled. Oh, super fun. Barnum and Bailey's Animal Cruelty Crackers. Cancelled. A woman carrying salt alone in the rain. Absolutely not. Just looked up the definition of minion. Uh, one, an underling or follower of a powerful person. Two, a servant. Cancelled. If the Dixie Chicks are cancelled, then... So are these plates. There are thousands of products in this grocery store, and if I consume any of them, I also support the political and moral choices of everyone involved in that company, which makes literally no sense, but it's 2020, and here we are. <laughs> Welcome to the cancel culture. This is what it is. And it brings disunity on a regular basis. Now, how many of you... By a show of hands, whether you're watching online, say yes, or Otis, I want you to participate in this as well. How many of you would agree that the cancel culture is destructive to our culture? Raise your hand. Then why are so many Christians embracing it? See, it's infiltrated our lives, and if you're a follower of Jesus, it's infiltrated our church as well. I see it all the time. With Christian posts, if you disagree with my stance religiously, if you don't support the things that I am going to protest again, then please unfriend me. You're canceled, right? We've had some people leave our church because we didn't remain open, and they said that we were driven by fear. Canceled. We were too strict or not strict enough when it comes to opening you know, uh, the social distancing or what we had to say about masks canceled. We didn't stand up for or against something. Canceled. The very thing that we loathe, we actually have a temptation to adopt in our real lives, which creates destruction. Now, let me be clear. I believe that God wants all of us to participate in our political environment. I do. He wants us all to pray for our government leaders, even of different parties. When is the last time, honestly, that we did that? When's the last time you honestly did that? Last time I honestly did that. He wants all of us to vote, and I would encourage you once again to do so. As we talk about unity, please again, let me remind you, I'm not here to, to change your political affiliation, but I am here to make sure that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that we are first and foremost unified under the kingdom of God. See, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost, and our political party should be secondary, and as it's secondary, it should be aligned based on our understanding of God and his word. See, the kingdom of God 
is God's reign and his rule in our lives. In fact, one of the great passages that explains the importance of this comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Apostle Paul writes from prison. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. In fact, it says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the father of all who is over all in us and living through all of us. Amen. Do you see how civility, dignity, humility, and unity are represented in this passage? You see it through it all. A guy by the name of Larry Crabb said this, you have first things and second things in your life. There's nothing wrong with second things, but when second things become first things, then it's a problem. And we can find this in our political culture. See, in the kingdom of God, there is a king, and it's not Dan, and it's not you. It's King Jesus. See, I want to tell you tonight, I want to tell you today that I am not nor have ever put my faith in a donkey or an elephant to solve our problems. I am putting my faith into the lion and the lamb and the church being the hope of the world. That's what it's about. The kingdom and the king being first in our lives. When we come to faith in Christ, what we are saying to Jesus is not only thank you for dying for me, but I am now surrendering to your reign and rule in my life. I am willing to submit myself, my thoughts, and my ideas to yours because I believe that what you have in store is best. Uh, Imagine for a second that I walked into a person's home. And as I walked into the person's home, the person whose home I walked into looked at me with disgust, and they said to me, hey, why didn't you take off your shoes when you came in? I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that that was the rules of the house. Let me just take them off right now. And they're like, okay, that's great. I want you to come on over here and be seated. And so they allow me to choose a seat. And so I sit down in the seat. And as soon as I sit down, another member of the family says, why are you sitting there? That's where dad lives, sits all the time. You shouldn't sit there. I'm like, well, I didn't know. I, I am, I'm so sorry. And then the appetizers come, and it's a great appetizer, and we all eat freely, and then the first course of the meal comes, and I find myself only the only one that's actually eating the meal, and they all put their you know, forks down because they haven't started, and they look at me, and they say, you know what? He says, don't you understand that when we have the appetizer, and then we pray before our first course? And I'm like, had no idea. And in further disgust, they said, and we are so disgusted with you that you didn't even know to wash your hands, not once, but twice before you came into our presence. Now, at this point, I'm getting a little irritated and I'm getting a little angry because I never understood, nor did I ever agree to whatever the expectations were or the rules of the house in which I was coming into. You see, why do we think that those who are not yet followers of Jesus should live and vote according to kingdom values when they themselves have never submitted and surrendered themselves to the king nor the rules of his household 
And yet we find ourselves irritated and angry at people who've not yet submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Why would we expect those people who've not yet bent the knee to Jesus to follow Jesus' path for what we believe the country should look like? That never should be the case. See, our unified goal should not be to change people's political ideas, but to help them to seek and to follow Jesus. That's what we're united with. See, the power and the importance of unity is so critical that of all things that Jesus would pray for us for, and he does pray for us, not just his, not just his immediate followers, that the one thing that he mentions is that they would be unified. That they would be unified. In fact, he says in John chapter 17, I am praying not only for these immediate disciples of mine, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Guess what? That's you and that's me if we bent the need to Jesus. I pray, he says, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. May they experience, notice this, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you, do you get it? You see, when we are united with Jesus as king under his kingdom, the world recognizes, you know what? There's something different about these people. They're, they're living differently and what is it about that that we want to have in our lives? There should be something different. Now, let me be clear. Unity does not mean uniformity. We can have different looks, different races, different thoughts, different gifts, and still find ourselves united. I remember when I was a senior in, in, in high school, our team was per, predicted, and rightly so, based on the talent of that team, to finish last in our conference. And yet what began to happen is that the coaches started to discover that, you know what, this person or this guy or this guy was not gifted at all the areas, but you know what, this guy, he could do one thing well, he could block. There was another guy that, oh, wow, he's got good hands, he can catch. There was another guy, like, actually, he can throw. And they found a place for all of us to maximize the one area that we could bring in a unified team goal that would help us succeed, and we finished that year nine and two to the shock of everyone, including us. See, Galatians 3 reminds us, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, none of those divisions whatsoever, for we are all one in Christ Jesus underneath the banner of the kingdom of God with Jesus as king. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we are unified in our mission to be and make disciples. That's the goal. And it's funny how different people from different thoughts and spectrums, when we put first things first, that we can come together towards a common goal, regardless of our political differences. See, we're unified in praying for and going after anyone who is not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of the cost. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, to the weak, he says, I will become weak so that I can win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat. We want to reach out and help people to seek and follow Jesus. 
That's the church's mission. That's Jesus' mission for us. See, we're unified in that mission because we're unified in our love for God and for other people. You know it, the greatest commandment. Jesus says, hey, you want to know what unifies all of us in our love for God? Love the Lord your God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the world will know that you're my followers by your love for one another. Talk about unity. You know what gets really hard? I hate even mentioning this because I'm not good at it. We're supposed to love our enemies. I don't want to. But Jesus says, but to you who are listening, and I wonder if you're listening online or at Otis as well, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful to you and to me. Not because people deserve it, but because of what we have received, we're able to give what God has given to us, we can freely pass on to other people. So we're unified in our mission. We're unified in our love of God and others, including our enemies. And this is what I get all the time when it comes to this unity, this idea of loving other people, even our enemies. Dan, can we just start a petition for, fill in the blank. Dan, can we hold marches and petitions and get all the people on Sunday morning and encourage them to join in this thing because this is wrong and politically we should step forward as followers of Jesus Christ and make this happen to say, no, we're not going to stand for that anymore. The answer is no. Here's why. As individuals, we can always start Gather, connect, get other people on board with whatever it is that God has placed on our heart individually to fight for the injustices of the world that's represented in our country for sure. But understand this very clearly. Jesus's goal isn't to win a vote or a petition. It's to win the hearts and minds of people who are farthest from him. Let me say it this way. Hang on. Don't tune me out online or on, on, on site. At Valley Real Life, we want to be unified and being known far more for what we are for than what we are against. Why? Because that's what, what Jesus would do. You see, Jesus had so many opportunities. Go back and read the Bible. He had so many opportunities about what he could speak out against the laws, the ruling, and the politics of the culture. Jesus could have talked and gave sermons about how unfair it was for Roman occupation and what we should do about it. He could have talked about how unfair the tax system was and what we should do about it. He could talk about how the Jews were being mistreated and what they could do about it, but that's not what he did, which made a lot of his followers really angry and upset at Jesus. They come to him one day like, Jesus, you know how awful and abusive this tax system is. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? He goes, give me the coin. Looks at it, says, whose face is on it? Caesar's. So he says, give it to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And to God, what is God's? Wrong answer, Jesus. You're supposed to say, do you understand what they use those resources for? Do you know that in future days, they're going to be killing Christians? Why in the world would we pay tax to something like that? Because that wasn't his primary reason to come. And he was staying focused on the mission at hand. 
I mean, he did the opposite. You think about, you know, the Roman people and how they oppressed the Jewish people. I mean, you think we get oppressed so often. And Jesus says, you know what? Here's a Roman soldier who's coming to me, and I'm going to actually heal his child. Jesus, why would you do that? See, Judas was so disgusted with Jesus and his lack of raising up an army that would overthrow the Roman people that he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver not realizing that the sellout would actually continue the mission in which Jesus had come. Even the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? They're standing there with stones going, hey, the law says we need to kill this person because of sin. Jesus, don't you hate sin? And Jesus leans down, starts writing what we believe are the sins of those who are about ready to cast the stones. And then he kneels down to her and he says, where are your accusers? She looks around, they're not there. She says, neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more. Does Jesus hate sin? Absolutely, which is why he gave himself up so that you and I might be united in Christ once again. Let me, let me say practically, one example of how this looks for what we are more for than what we are against, okay? Here we are. We are pro-life, Okay? Jesus is pro-life. We are pro-life for the unborn. Psalms 139, 13 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Life matters to God, and it should matter to us as well. We are also pro-life for the one who had the abortion. We actually have a ministry, you know, here called Abanon, where we, we, we try to encourage, you know, uh, women who've had abortions to come and receive grace and to find healing and acceptance and wholeness. We are pro-life. You also realize that we are pro-life for the orphan as well as the widow. James 1.27 says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. In Matthew 25, Jesus is at the end of all days, and he separates all people, and he separates them sheep and goats. And he says, hey, hey, you guys, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you let me in. And they're like, Jesus, when did we see these things? Whenever you've done for any of these people, you've done it unto me. See, we are pro-life for the stranger, you know that word specifically stranger also means immigrant and foreigners among us. We are pro-life for the poor. We are pro-life for those in prison. We are pro-life for the marginalized and the oppressed. We are pro-life for anyone who does not yet know Jesus Christ. That should get us a little excited on this day. That's what it means to be pro-life. That's what it means to be more known for what we are for than what we're against. So how do we respond in unity when we're faced with the reality of division and hatred? You know that dollar bill I showed you, the $20 bill at the beginning? You know that there's a backside to it. And the backside, you know, of the bill says the United States of America, but right underneath that, what does it say? In God we trust. You see, Here's what can happen. The more we pursue the things of Christ, the closer we get, we get brought together. I mean, go back to who Jesus chose as his followers, right? 
You know, he's got these tax guys that used to work you know, for the Romans and zealots who wanted to kill anybody connected to the Romans. And, uh, and they're coming together, united under this passion and purpose and mission of Jesus Christ. See, it can work because when we focus on God, we start growing closer together. We don't focus on the differences. We focus on the Savior and the King, regardless of our political party. See, 1 John 2, 6 says these words, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So here would be my encouragement for us. In every situation, every vote, every petition, everything that we deal with, can we just answer this question? What would Jesus do? Not what do I believe or I think or my parents think or what I read on the internet that we just stop and say, Jesus, what would you do in this situation? Jesus does different things in different situations. We read that all the time. Read it all the time. In fact, I, I was listening to a pastor this week because, you know, there's this, this conflict, there's this division going on, going on because there's a famous pastor in Southern California who has been open and is getting all this media attention. And when you listen to the reasons why, you're like, yeah, that's, that's right. There's another pastor who's back east at one of the largest churches, and they're not going to open their doors until January, and you listen to the reason why, and you're like, well, that sounds right also. So who's wrong? Could it be that we answer the question, what would Jesus do, that both are right depending on what is going on and whoever is leading? I was listening uh, to a pastor, you know, this last week, and he says, hey, in Revelation, Jesus comes down, he talks to the seven different churches in Revelation, as he talks to the seven different churches in Revelation, he doesn't say the same thing to every single church. He actually addresses something unique and specific to what's going on in that church. Could it be that Jesus may lead one church to do one thing and a different church to do another and both be right? The why behind the what is much more important than what. Why we do what we do. So I wonder, are you willing I know this is not a fun message. Trust me, it's not fun for me to give either. Are you willing to place the unity of Christ, the unity of his church, the unity of his mission above and ahead of your candidate or political party? Are you willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates space between you and your party and your party's platform and your party's candidate? If yes then I believe honestly that the church will be able to lead the way of civility, dignity, humility, and yes, even unity. Imagine for a second, if 2,500 people who call Valley Real Life home put our faith above, in, and through our politics, what that would mean for our community. What would happen if we let our light shine based on our unified approach that Jesus' kingdom is preeminent and that his mission is most important. And we're going to live to try to tell others about the good news of who Jesus is. Can you imagine how our bright our light would shine in a community that all they seem to see and feel is hate? As we wrap up this series, let me just say this one last thing. On November 4th, you and I will wake up with the reality that your political candidate won or lost. The church, Christ church, will win or lose based on how we treat others 
every day between now and then. The choice is yours. God, thank you so much for this series. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people that would be partakers of the political platforms, the issues that are raised, that we would fully embrace, jump in, and we would ask the question, Jesus, how would you vote? What does your word have to say? We are subjects of your kingdom and we're part of your mission. But most importantly, Father, let our light shine. Allow us to be seen by other people in the way that we treat and that we come across in humility, in dignity, in civility, and in unity. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.